Heavenly Father, please watch over us now and open our hearts and our minds that we may understand what you have to teach us from this reading. Amen. Amen. So the reading today is taken from 1 Samuel 25, uh, 1 to 17. David, Nabal, and Abigail. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surely and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not ill-treat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. (coughs) Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this man of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I give my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned round and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not ill-treat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us, the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sears of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, Go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, 
there were David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. David had just said, It's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely. If by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my lord sent. And now, my lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord, because you fight the Lord's battles, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him, and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet you, meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things. And his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord, who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from wrongdoing, and has brought Nabal's wrongdoings down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. 
his servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I am your servant and I'm ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. David had also married Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they both were his wives. But Saul had given his daughter Michal, David's wife, to Paltiel, son of Laish, who was from Galim. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray briefly. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, meet us all this morning. pray that you would uh, speak uh, to to our hearts uh, more clearly uh, than I do. pray that you would meet us all, whatever stage of faith, uh, wherever we are in life. I pray in Jesus' name and to his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I thought for some years that Abigail was a star. And um, as I've been preparing for this uh, final uh, installment of our Women of Faith series, uh, I've come to appreciate that the biblical Abigail uh, really was uh, a remarkable woman of faith. So uh, let's look uh, at her story uh, and see what we can learn from it. Can we? Yeah, thank you. So... um, just uh, very simply, let's look at the story behind the story first and then um, uh, and go on. So you can see that uh, there are three obvious uh, main uh, people in this story. Uh, there's Abigail, uh, a woman of faith. Uh, she's beautiful. She's intelligent. There's a husband, Nabal. He's a man uh, of no faith. He's a complete idiot. Um, uh, um, David. Uh, a chosen uh, and anointed as king, uh, but not yet there. A man of deep faith, and yet a man with some significant flaws. And the story starts with the death of Samuel, uh, Hannah's son, as we saw last week. A man of faith born to a woman of faith. Uh, and Samuel's life's work was to set up uh, the kingdom of Israel and to choose its first two kings. Um, And the reign of those two kings is a subject of these two books named after Samuel. And David was to be uh, the second king of Israel. The first king, Saul, uh, had been rejected by God. And Saul was insanely and murderously envious of David. And as we pick up the story here, he and David are roaming the countryside in a kind of a cat and mouse chase. David's got 600 men with him, and Saul has got 3,000 elite troops. This is a pretty uh, combustible situation, isn't it? And out of this situation, we get a murderous argument between two men, David and Nabal. Nabal, uh, acting in character uh, as a fool, and David, you may well have thought, as you read, acting in out of character. Um, Let's look at David, actually, before we look at Nabal. David had been absolutely exemplary uh, in his conduct during this uh, whole uh, period on the run from Saul. Um, He'd uh, 
kept the locals from harm. It must have been a terrifying thing to have been living in those parts where you have got two armies uh, roaming around near your property. Um, you never know what they're going to do. Um, we have too many uh, ways of relating to that today, don't we? You never know what's going to happen. But it's evident here that David was not only protecting the locals from his own men, um, but he was protecting them from other harms too. Maybe from Saul's troops, uh, maybe from Philistines who were taking advantage of Saul looking the other way. You'll see that the servant said uh, to Abigail that they, they didn't ill-treat us, they were a wall around us. Um, for another thing, uh, David didn't sink to Saul's level. Saul wanted to kill David, but David was not going to kill Saul. If you just zoom out and look at the chapter before, you'll see it's called David spares Saul's life. If you look at the chapter after, David again spares Saul's life. Uh, he had been respectful, but he did need some food, and he thought that sheep shearing time uh, would be a reasonable time to ask um, uh, Nabal for some food. Well, Nabal was a fool. Uh, Nabal's reply to David really beggars belief, doesn't it? Uh, he crafted the rudest no that he could put into words. And he just dissed David as an escaped servant. Who is this son of Jesse? Now, he must have been the only person in Israel who didn't know what was going on. The only alternative theory to that is that he did know what was going on. He did know that David had 600 men with him, and he still delivered that rude reply. I mean, that would be a miscalculation, wouldn't it? You don't do that. Um, so uh, I don't know whether he was stupid or very stupid, but he was one or the other. And, and the thing is that David was also stupid in return, and he let that reply provoke him. He completely went off the handle, um, and he set out with 400 of his men uh, intent on killing every male in Nabal's household. And really, that beggars belief too, uh, after all that David had done to... Uh, keep control in his campaign so far. So this argument between two men, and here we have Abigail, the woman of faith, who calms it down. And she resolves this argument dramatically and yet and peacefully. Now I can, in a way, tell the story quite quickly now because what I want to do is make space to, to reflect on it a little bit. So what did Abigail do? Well, it's not noticeable, isn't it, that she had the confidence of her servants. Her servants came to her uh, they told it like it was. They expected a hearing, and she heard them out, and then she responded quickly. She organized a gift, um, and she sent it on its way to David. Uh, and then she set out a bit later, but she got there, it would seem, even before the gift did. Um, and there she has this meeting with David and this speech. So how did she do this? Well, the first thing she did was she got David to listen. Um, that must have been no easy thing. David was um, full of his own um, uh, thoughts, wasn't he, uh, as he was going down that pass and sharing them with his men in no uncertain terms. But she got his attention. She humbled himself. Uh, she bowed down. And she used very polite language, absolutely the opposite of Nabal. And then she distanced herself from her husband. Um, he's a fool, she said. Uh, I wasn't consulted. This is not me. This is somebody different. Listen to me. Then she showed that she knew about David. 
Um, she knew uh, about his battles, that he fought the Lord's battles. Uh, she knew that he had been uh, anointed as the future king. She knew that Saul was following him with intent to kill. And did you notice her clever reference to her sling, David's favorite weapon? Her enemies will be hurled away as if by a sling. So she got him listening. And, with, and then, once she got him listening, she changed his mind with an argument which is simplicity itself. She simply said, one day you are going to be king, and when you are, you don't want the Carmel massacre on your conscience. Very simple argument, once she'd got him listening. And um, what a remarkable woman. Isn't it amazing that Abigail got all that together in a reflex, in a crisis, no preparation. Um, I've been thinking about this for weeks. She had really minutes to think about this. Um, uh, and this is how that we know that she was a woman of living faith. Um, she, by her, in her, that uh, faith, she was listening to the news. She followed what God was doing. Um, and she was able to use that knowledge to persuade David uh, to live up to his own faith and save him from a terrible sin. So what happens? Well, the first thing is, of course, that David um, repented. Um, he repented with joy. He praised God for keeping him from sin, and he thanked Abigail, uh, and he accepted the gift and sent her home in peace. And the next thing is that um, Abigail went back and told Nabal what had happened, uh, as soon, that is, as he was fit to uh, listen, uh, which was the morning after, as you know. And it gave him uh, basically an apoplectic shock, and he died soon afterwards. And sadly, we have no hint that he uh, changed uh, or repented from his folly. The next thing that happened is that Abigail married David. Um, uh, Nabal's uh, death cleared the way for David to make that uh, it says proposal in my notes, just listening to it again in the uh, Bible reading there, a bit more than a proposal, wasn't it? Um, uh, David was certainly impressed, I think, by Abigail's faith and intelligence, uh, and no doubt by her beauty too. So uh, she agreed, uh, and by the standards of the time, uh, it's not surprising um, that Abigail knew that she was signing up to hospitality duties uh, in agreeing to, to be David's wife. Um, but there would also be a lot more exciting stuff, which I'll come to. Um, I'm not sure she realized that she was signing up to, as David's second wife alongside Ahinoam. Um, and really, actually, this is not a happy ending, is it? It's, uh, it's not an all-lived-happily-ever-after. It's an episode that sets a dark tone for the episodes that are come after and are going to come after. Um, and... Um, uh, there was trouble after in David's life because of his uh, dealings with women. And it starts here. So I, w I don't want any to anybody to be in any doubt about that. Nobody ever thought this was a happy ending. It's a rather sad ending um, to what would otherwise actually have been a glorious uh, um, chapter uh, of biblical history. Um, so, uh, well, what happens much later, eventually David uh, did become king. Uh, his reign uh, was, uh, in, in the large, a good and wise reign. It was uh, 
Um, but it was marred, as I said, by uh, his mistreatment of women, um, uh, and uh, for which you've just seen the seeds were sown here. Um, Abigail had a son with David. Uh, he was called Kiliab, uh, also uh, Daniel, the same man. And then we hear no more about either Abigail or Kiliab. Um, I think that even this silence says something about Abigail as a woman of faith. She knew by faith that she had a greater treasure in heaven than anything that she could get by playing the game of thrones on earth. So she kept herself and Kiliab right out of all that stuff. And if you see what David's other sons got up to, you realize there was quite a big contrast there. Um, she accepted God's word uh, that David's dynasty uh, was to continue through Solomon, son of Bathsheba. Um, that must have been perhaps hard. She may have had dream her own dreams about that uh, as she accepted his uh, proposal, um, but uh, she accepted that. And so we, and this is all we know about her. And I think those two things say something about Abigail's faith. What um, can we learn? If somebody can just advance the slide. Um, what can we learn from uh, Abigail? Uh, loads and loads and loads of stuff. Um, let's try and uh, be focused. So, um, easy stuff first. One is to listen. Uh, Proverbs 10.14. The wise store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. Could have been written about Abigail and Nabal, couldn't it? Um, I'm not sure I need to say more about that. Um, uh, I'm just going to skip the uh, marry into living faith point and come back to it. Um, there's uh, another thing that we should do. We should try and save our fellow believers from sin. We shouldn't assume uh, if we uh, step in that they are going to be stubborn like Nabal. They may rejoice to be saved from their sin like David did. Uh, if you can see somebody, this was not a hidden thing, was it? If you can see somebody stepping into this, try and help them. Flip side of that, which I haven't got mentioned on the list there, is um, don't drop your guard. David dropped his guard, didn't he? He was right on it with Saul. He was right on it with, you know, I've got to keep the civilian population safe. Uh, but he dropped his guard when this um, uh, rude reply came back from Nabal. It, it, it got to his pride and he flared up. He let it go. And it could have been terrible, the consequences of that. He also dropped his guard consistently with respect for women. And there were consequences of that. Don't drop your guards. Don't drop your guards. Right. Um, a bit more uh, meaty now, um, uh, and especially in this story. It's a story of a married woman, isn't it? In, not in a happy marriage, um, and it's a story uh, of faith uh, and, and in that. And so some thoughts about, about that. One, especially uh, for um, young people. Um, so you're not married yet. Um, you might have no plans. You might be actually quite adamant that you're not going to get married, but statistically... Um, at least a few of you are going to get married. So can we, um, can we learn anything um, from 
this story about getting married. Well, the, the, the lesson is really, isn't it, to marry into living faith. There's some great adjectives here, some great adjectives. What attractors to people? Uh, Abigail was intelligent. Do we want to marry somebody clever? Maybe we do. Abigail was beautiful. Do we want to marry somebody from their looks? Maybe we do. Nabal was wealthy. He was very wealthy. Do we want to marry into wealth? Sounds interesting. Nabal was a Calebite. Do we want to marry a Calebite? What does that mean? Caleb's family was a remarkable family of faith. He was a man of faith. Read about him. He was one of the spies who actually trusted God alongside Joshua. And to marry into that kind of reputation, that would have been fantastic, wouldn't it? That would have been like marrying, I don't know, um, you know, the pastor's son or daughter or marrying somebody from that church in that town. It would have been great. But by reputation only, it's hollow. Nabal himself had no faith. So whatever else you look for in um, a life's partner, when that time comes, look for living faith. Um, Abigail had that living faith. Um, David had that living faith too. Um, Abigail, look for living faith. Don't just, you might get any or all or none of the other qualities I mentioned, um, but look for living faith. Some thoughts about loyalty. Um, this story brings up a, a conflicted loyalty, doesn't it? We want to be loyal in our marriages. But to get through this situation, Abigail had to be spectacularly disloyal to Nabal. Um, can we say anything useful uh, about loyalty? Um, probably, uh, you know, this is one of those things where uh, angels fear to trade, but I'm going to have a go anyway. Um, so first, our loyalty mirrors God's love. Look at the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. It keeps no record of wrongs. It protects and trusts and hopes and perseveres. And it does that even when the other party isn't perfect. That's how God loves us. And that's how we are to love the people we love, and especially um, our other half in marriage. Without um, that kind of love, um, you give up. With this kind of love, you do what you can to carry on. And that is loyalty, and it comes from God. On the other hand, there are limits on loyalty, and they come from God too. God wants us to uh, find time for him. Uh, we want to be uh, truthful and legal. We want our other half to be truthful and legal. Um, there may be other people in our care um, besides our spouse. And those factors are God-given too. Um, they put limits uh, on our loyalty to any one individual, even within marriage. I think that Abigail called it pretty well. She was loyal to Nabal. She did actually save his life. Um, and she did tell him when he was uh, fit to hear it. But she had to do what she did here. 
She had to do it to save her servants' lives, and she had to do it to save David from a gross sin after he let Nabal provoke him. I'm wondering if some of you maybe feel that Abigail didn't call it so well. Um, you might be thinking that she was overloyal um, to stay with Nabal. You know, with that level of stupidity, that level of uh, provocation uh, and frustration, she'd actually been better out of there. Uh, she could have gone for unreasonable behavior um, uh, and, uh, and, and got out of there and breathed freely again. And it's even possible um, that some of us might be reading that view into our own situations this morning. I hope not, but it's possible. Well, if that is, can I just make one observation about loyalty? Um, if for anybody's beginning to feel that way, um, it wouldn't be disloyal to talk about it with a trusted friend. Um, that really may be a thing that would help. Bottling up at a certain point is not loyal. It's... Um, it's it's counterproductive. Um, I hope that might be helpful, and I'm sure Abigail would have understand that situation. Finally, build your life on faith in God's purposes. And this is the most amazing thing I think about Abigail's faith. God has a purpose for us if we're a Christian, if we're a believer. You can see it in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I think perhaps a familiar text. We have been called according to God's purpose. And what is that purpose? It's to make us holy and bring us to glory. The fact that Abigail knew this is what helped her not to set her goals for glory in this world. Um, uh, she knew that she had uh, treasure in the next. Uh, and that got her through the everyday uh, with Nabal and through the everyday with David. The interesting thing is that passage in Romans 28 shows that God has a purpose not just for individuals, but for the whole world. You see the word many. Jesus Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That word many is built into the gospel. Back to Isaiah's prophecy, a great prophecy about Jesus in chapter 52, 53. It's bracketed by the word many. He will sprinkle many nations. Many people will see him and be appalled at, um, at, at, at the crucified Christ. Many people, he will bear their sins at the end of the passage. And so it's built in. And Isaiah is on that theme in that whole section of Isaiah in the, in the 50s of Isaiah there. For me, my absolute favorite verse. In the whole of Isaiah is um, chapter 51, verse 6. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke the earth will wear out like a garment and its inhabitants will die like flies 
that my salvation will last forever. And my righteousness will never fail. This is God's purpose for the whole world. It's to save and it's to make safe. And it's to bring righteousness for many people to enjoy. So whatever else happens in this world, whatever else looks as though the earth is uh, going to disappear uh, and as though people are going to die, whatever else looks bad, that actually is God's purpose. Uh, And he's never let up on it um, from the beginning of time until now. And Abigail actually knew that David was part of that big plan. She knew that he was God's anointed king. He was a righteous man. When he was king, he would make Israel safe. He would bring that righteousness and salvation to Israel itself. Um, She even helped the plan along by doing what she did in this chapter and saving David from a sin that would have greatly compromised him. So my question is, do you build your life uh, on God's purposes for you? Um, Do you set your goals um, and live in the everyday knowing that God will bring you to glory? Do you um, build your life on God's purpose for the whole world? Do you rejoice in that? Um, He's going to bring righteousness and safety, not just to the land of Israel through David, but to the whole world through Jesus Christ. Um, Christ means anointed. David was anointed. Jesus is the anointed king. Like David in that sense, but not flawed, uh, not mortal. Um, uh, He lives forever and his reign is over the whole world. That should give us some optimism, shouldn't it? We we see dark times occasionally, but they shouldn't be interpreted as, well, this is just the end. It should be interpreted, no, no, this is God testing us, refining us, making us ready for the next chapter in that story of his purpose of salvation and righteousness. It should also give us confidence in how we go about that. Jesus is the one. Singing that, great to be singing that, isn't it? Jesus is the one. We don't need to uh, accommodate to the way the world is today. Some of our bishops are telling us that. They've lost that confidence. No, no. Jesus is the one, as he actually is. We are here to save the world, to bring God's righteousness and salvation. So that, this, is, this is my question for coffee. Have you thought about the Christian life in those terms? Um, <clears throat> living uh, by faith uh, in God's purposes, his purposes for you, his purposes for the world. Um, Have you thought about the Christian life as that? If you are a Christian today, have you thought in those terms? If you're not a Christian today, have you thought in those terms? They apply to you too, actually. Um, God has a purpose for you. He wants to bring you to glory. He has a purpose for the world. Have you thought about that? That's part of the way God is. Um, And if you do think about it, does it make any difference? What difference would it make? Maybe just think about something that uh, you're, you're, you're um, uh, going through at the moment or thinking about. Would it, would it make a difference to you to think in those terms? 
Sisters and brothers and friends, I hope this look at Abigail has been inspiring. Um, Abigail was a woman with everyday struggles and occasional crises. And she lived 3,000 years ago in the time of David. Well, here we are today, men and women, with everyday struggles and occasional crises in the time of Jesus Christ. Abigail's faith got her through um, those struggles and that crisis that we saw here. Her God is our God. And when you zoom right out, the reasons for her faith are the same as the reasons for our faith. So may her faith be our faith. And may we build our lives upon it. Amen.